0: Turn to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1 this morning. As you turn to Luke chapter 1, I want you to think for a moment here. As many that come to your mind, think of all the joyful moments in your life. Think of as many as you can think of. Take a minute and what are the things that come to your mind? Joyful moments in your lifetime. Some of you might think, well, it hasn't been very joyful. I, I'm sure if you could think long enough, the Lord would bring before you some things to give thanks for. But think about some of those things that are on that list. I was thinking through just joyful moments, thinking of times when I got 100% on a test. Uh, I was like, praise the Lord, I got an A plus on that. Thinking about when I got my driver's license, I was filled with joy to have my license. When I graduated from high school, When I graduated from college, when I graduated from seminary, to uh, rejoice in those celebrations. Uh, Being and getting married to my wife, Kelly, and the joy there. Others of you could put all kinds of things on your list. Um, Some of you could say tests for cancer that came back negative. Or other types of things that you're praising and rejoicing the Lord over. Some of you paying off a loan or taking care of some debt. How about the birth of a child, as we celebrate this Advent season. The birth of a child, to think of the, the when you see that child, uh, to know that that is the Lord doing a work. When I lived in Los Angeles, many times I would be on the highway, and if you haven't driven in uh, Los Angeles on the highway, especially during the peak hours, you kind of just sit there for a while and edge forward a little bit. But occasionally, you would turn to your right or left, and you'd see the people in the cars next to you, and all of a sudden, you just see, and I'm like, that person is rocking out. They're like singing at the top of their lungs. They're dancing, and they're just joyful. And I've seen this multiple times, and you're like, I mean, it makes me kind of laugh. I don't do stuff like that. I may sing real loud in the car, but I'm like, the dancing, just kind of like, wow, that person is joyful. And to think about the Advent Christmas season, we just sang four different Christmas hymns reflecting on the birth of Christ. It amazes me that when you go into different shops, uh, stores uh, that are not Christian owned or Christian led, and they're playing these same Christmas Advent songs uh, throughout the store. And I wonder every time, do they understand what they're declaring? They're playing a song that's declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so for Christians, as they go through and shopping, they sing out with that. And others maybe sing along because they like the tune, not knowing what the, really the rejoicing is for. But what we have is great joy in this Advent season. The announcement of good news, of great joy to all the people that would be born this Savior. And if you don't know, you need to know that every single one of us are sinners and we are in need of a Savior. Therefore, the message of Christmas, the message of Advent, is the first coming of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And that is why we rejoice. This morning, as we look at Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 56, the scriptural truth is this. True joy is found in the hearts of those who rejoice in God our Savior. Look with me here at Luke chapter 1. This is Mary's song, or you'll maybe hear titled her Magnificat, that you would see this is a rejoicing that just breaks out from Mary after she, while she is visiting her relative Elizabeth. Verse 46. And Mary said, To her home. The Word of God. It's a blessing again that we have recorded for us. Uh, Not uh, something that was just made up by Mary, but being led by the Holy Spirit to have the Word of God written down for us is a great uh, treasure and something that if anything, we should rejoice over this morning. If you look at Luke chapter 1 and 2 and if you look at Matthew chapter 1, there is a lot of rejoicing and there is a lot of singing that happens in these three chapters. You have Elizabeth who rejoices when Mary comes into the house. You have Mary rejoicing. You have the angels that are rejoicing as they tell the shepherds, today, born for you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The shepherds go with rejoicing to the uh, where the manger was, where Jesus was laid. And then later on when Jesus is a young uh, child, the wise men come from afar and they're rejoicing that they have found the king of the Jews to worship, but there was much singing, and that is uh, one of the things that I so uh, enjoy during this Advent singing, is hearing the body of Christ lift up their voices and to praise the Lord God Almighty for what He has done in sending His Son, Christ, to save us. If you look at Luke chapter 1, and if you go back just a few verses before what I read, if you look at verse 31... It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name what? Jesus. Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and as of his kingdom there will be no end end the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, "You're going to be with child and she's confused in one sense, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And he said, this miraculous work of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will give birth to the Savior. Well if we look at this there's rejoicing that happens and one of the things that you see and you can take note of in Mary's song in this pra- this praise that she gives in verse 46 through uh, 56, is that she is praising the Lord for who he is. If you look at the five points in the back of your bulletin that are there, I put them down for you so that you would rejoice today, that you would rejoice this week being reminded of God and his attributes. And so those five things that she praises for the Lord for is what you should praise the Lord for as well. Let's look at the first one rejoicing for God is mighty. Rejoicing for God is mighty. After Mary is pregnant, she goes to Elizabeth to go and visit. And when she comes into the place, if you read Luke chapter 1... The baby, John the Baptist, who is in Elizabeth's womb, jumps for joy at hearing the voice of Mary. And Elizabeth takes note of that and says in verse 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment. And it's from that response that Mary begins to praise the Lord Look with me again at verses 46 through 48. Here is her song of praise. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. She goes on to say, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. There is no conflict here between our soul and our spirit. The Apostle Paul speaks of both. They're one and the same, speaking of our inner self in that sense, our soul, our spirit rejoicing the Lord God Almighty. So not only, like I would see the people driving down the road, dancing in the car to the music and joyfulness, you have Mary singing from within this praise. And that is really where your rejoicing should come from. It should come from your soul, from your spirit, from your heart. And you should praise the Lord for His greatness. And here she praises Him for His might and says that he is mighty. There's this exuberant praise that comes from her, and she says, My soul and my spirit. Is your soul and your spirit rejoicing in the Lord today? Are you rejoicing today in this moment of the birth of Jesus Christ? Not only over the birth of Jesus Christ, but also that he went to the cross and that we have the empty tomb and that we wait now his second advent, the second coming of Christ. I pray as I've been praying early this morning that your soul, your spirit, your heart would be stirred up with great emotion for praising the Lord and rejoicing in your salvation in Christ. She praises, Mary praises God her what there in verse 47. My spirit rejoices in God my what? What she call him? My savior. She praises God because he, he is her savior. She knows that she is not free from sin. She knows that she needs a Savior. The Catholic Church wrongly teaches a false doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. And many people think, oh, that's talking about the birth of Christ. No, the Immaculate Conception is the, what they believe wrongly, that Mary herself was born free of original sin. Therefore, she could give birth to the Savior. But that is wrong, because when you read what Mary declares here, she realizes that she is a sinner, that she is in need of a Savior, and she praises God for that truth. Now, Jesus... His conception was immaculate because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, the Apostle Paul writes that you and I are all sinners because sin has been passed down from Adam to each and every one of us. That that did not pass to Jesus because he was conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit. Verse 48, Mary points out that God has looked upon her and her humble estate Mary was a nobody. Do you realize that? She didn't have her name listed. Uh, in, she was not of royalty. She was not of, of, of uh, uh, some great religious leader. She's like the shepherds in the field. Unless we knew her name, you would not know who Mary was. And she points out, the Lord has looked at my humble estate. He's had favor on me. The angel said that you'll be blessed, Mary, that you are blessed. And so she points this out and she praises God for his attributes in the first being in verse 49, for he who is mighty. Is God a mighty God? He's a mighty God. From the beginning of the, of, of, of the Bible to the end of the Bible, repeatedly we read of God's might. Or the word might there means the powerful one, the strong one, the one who is able to think that these are the descriptions of who God is. As he says, nothing can stop his hand. And when you read through the scripture, we read of other songs of rejoicing. You read of of Moses, if you turn to Exodus chapter 15, Moses sang a praise rejoicing in God and his might. If you remember, the nation of Israel was in captivity under Pharaoh. They were slaves. And what God did was he sent a number of these plagues. He showed his hand of might. And when Pharaoh let them go, Pharaoh then hardened his heart. And God hardened his heart. And he went after them and sent his army. And they come to the Red Sea. And everyone thinks, oh we are going to die and Moses as as instructed by God raises his staff the Red Sea parts the nation of Israel cross the sea on dry land not muddy land but dry land While the waters are held up they cross to the other side and Pharaoh and his army enter in chasing after them and God brings the waters crushing down and destroying Pharaoh's army showing his might and his power And we need to be remindful of those things. The reason why God's leaders, he continued to tell them, remind them of Egypt, tell them of my great works, is so that you and I and they would not be um, so easily forgetful. Have you been forgetful this week of God's might? Have you gone about your day and your week and prepared your Christmas activities and all these things and then forgot, oh, our God is mighty He's done all these wonderful, glorious things. He's saved me from sin and from death. This is why she praises him. And Moses said this in Exodus 15, verse 11. It says, he's saying, Who is like you, O Lord among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? God is praised, and we do praise him because of who he is. And how he acts in his sovereignty. That God is mighty, that he's powerful, that he's strong. And what he does is he humbles the hearts of the proud. God humbles the hearts of his people. He causes those who stand before him to tremble in fear. Isaiah chapter 40 I've shared this with you before, one of my favorite chapters of the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 40 speaks of the might of God, the greatness of God, the glory of God. And in Isaiah chapter 40, when he says, Behold your God, Isaiah writes, He says, Behold, uh, verse 10, the Lord God comes with what? With might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. Read Isaiah 40 this week as it describes God seated above the heavens and we are at his feet like grasshoppers. That describes to you how glorious and how mighty and how strong that God is. And you need to be reminded of that today, church. I need to be reminded of that. Because of the pridefulness of our hearts, it is so easy for us to forget of God's might and our pride be raised up and we think what we are doing is because of who we are. When if there's anything at all that we do good in the name of God, it's because He does that work in you, not because of what we do in ourselves. And so God, throughout the Word of God, has displayed His might So so much power and glory that no one can stop his hand. I mean, you think about when a child is reaching for something that is dangerous, you just push their hand away. Or if you experience this like I did as a child, riding in the front seat, my mom's driving and she has to slam on the brakes and all of a sudden that hand comes flying about knocking the wind out of you or clocking you in the throat uh, to stop it there. No one can stop God's hand. To think that we would even dare think that we could stop something that God has declared to do is foolishness. And so she praises God for his might. One of the things that's interesting as you go back and read Mary's song this week, go back and read some of the Psalms. Go back and read Psalm 115. Because what you read in Mary's account is a layout of just like so many of David's Psalms. And in Psalm 115, verse 3, it says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He what? Pleases. Exactly. God does what He does that pleases Him. And so when you think of this, I know that I have fallen in this trap so many times. I think I'm going to change God's mind. I'm going to pray about something in such a way, and all these things, and like I realized later, I'm, like, I'm not even praying according to God's will. I just want something changed because this is what I want. And I think that this is what should happen. There's no way that any of you will change God's mind because God's word says he does not change. And therefore, we rejoice and we praise God for his might. Let's look at the second one. Rejoicing for God is holy, verse 49. She says, and holy is his name. A second attribute that she praises God for is God's holiness. Think for a moment. God is without sin. As 1 John says, there is no darkness in God. Only light. God has never had a sinful thought God has never said anything sinful. God has never acted sinful in any way ever. That's the picture of God's holiness. And so Isaiah, who says in chapter 9 of the child that would come, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says the people were living in darkness, but on them the light has shone, pointing to Jesus who would come and be born, bringing the light of God into this dark place. And so Jesus being miraculously conceived so that he would not have the sin of Adam passed down because, let us not forget, Jesus is God. And therefore Jesus is completely holy. And 1 Peter chapter 2 says this in verse 22. He, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth You see, Jesus is God, and so Jesus is completely holy as we describe, as we read descriptions of God's holiness. Again, the prophet Isaiah, he had a vision of God seated on the throne in the temple. He said his robe filled the temple, and there was smoke, and there was lightning, and all of these things. He saw God's holiness in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. The angel's declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it was at that moment where Isaiah realizes that he is not holy. And when we come to the truth of God's holiness being presented to our lives and we see God's holiness, the only right response is that we are sinful. And we can't approach a holy God. In Isaiah chapter 6, there in verse 5, he says this, Woe is me! Have you had that moment in your life? That moment of realizing God's holiness and your sinfulness? Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. God's holiness humbles us. God's holiness brings us to our knees, to worship him. And God's holiness demands your humility. God's holiness demands that you confess that you are a sinner in need of saving. God's holiness ultimately will lead people through the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgiveness and salvation through faith in Jesus one of the things that's interesting is after Isaiah sees the holiness of God, after the angel touches his uh, lips with this tongue of this, uh, this uh, glowing red um, piece to, to clean, cleanse him of his lips, he then says, he hears God saying, well, who am I going to send? He says, here I am, Lord, send me. And what God does is, when we realize His holiness, and He cleanses our heart and makes us His own, makes us His own. There is that response naturally that comes within the believer: "Is Lord, I do want to serve You." And that's what we see in Mary, and she sings. Also, when you see the angel coming to there in chapter one, verse thirty-eight, she says, "Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to Your word." Just like Isaiah says, "Here I am. Send me." Mary says. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I will do as you have called me to do. Have you forgot about God's holiness this week? Has God's holiness confronted you from Scripture this week? Has it humbled you and reminded you of God's call that you would serve him because he is holy and he has made you holy through the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior? But God's holiness should strike our hearts and move us to repentance of sin. The third attribute and the third point is rejoicing for God is just. Rejoicing for God is just. When you go to court because someone has wronged you, do you want a just judge? Do you? Yes. I mean, I don't think any of you want to walk into a courtroom and to go before a judge who looks at all the laws and sees the evidence that you were wrong and says, ah, I'm going to give that person a pass this time. No, we want the judge to give us justice. And one of the things that's wonderful is you see God's holiness and you see God's justice, and they are completely unified going hand in hand. And so she rejoices for God is just. Look at well, we'll come back to verse 50 in a minute, but look at verse 50 and 50, 51 and 52 of Luke 1 or Luke. yeah. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And as I read that, I thought of King Nebuchadnezzar. When you read of him in the Old Testament, the guy who stood on the roof of his palace, then he looks around, he's like, look what I have created. Look at how wonderful I am. And all these things that he did and God told him, you are going to be humbled. You are prideful and I will bring down your pride, and King Nebuchadnezzar was cast out for a number of years out into the wilderness, and to the point where he was eating grass like an ox, and his hair was growing long and matted, and his nails were growing long and sharp like talons of, 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 a, of a bird, and he was going crazy in this sense. And God then brings him back at a point when he has been humbled enough. And he recognizes that God is the one who receives all the glory for anything that he did. But God is just that even in our pridefulness, he will deal rightly with us in a right manner. Because of God's holiness, he always acts justly towards every single one of you. God always is just perfectly towards you because of his holiness And God's justice, as we read here, refers to this entire scope of His sovereignty. Everything He does, everything according to His will, all the display of His might is done in justice and in right justice. The hard part for you and me, though, and for the world, is because God is holy and because God is just and because we are sinners, every single person deserves to face the justice of God. And when you read passages like the book of Nahum, which we were at just a a number of weeks back, Nahum chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God the Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. Verse 6 says, Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries, and he will punish his enemies into darkness and when you read that, you think, okay, yeah, everyone who are enemies against God. But yet when we read the book of Ephesians, when we book, read the book of Romans, it declares that every single one of us are born into this world with the sin of Adam and an enemy of God, a child of wrath. So when you read that, you're like, oh, no, don't take me out. I'm not really an enemy. But that is the reality because Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have What? sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 tells us this, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we must read God's might, His holiness, but also His justice. And this is what Mary praises Him for, is that He will bring about justice for his enemies. And he will do that perfect, uh, will, perfect holiness and right justice. The hard part is we don't want justice for ourselves in the sense of God's justice on us, right? We just want to be spared. We want mercy. And so what do we do? We speak back to God. We complain about God's justice. We want him to give us justice when we're being wronged by someone. But we, in really, in our reality, in our fallenness, in our sinfulness, in our pridefulness, we question uh, God's justice. Romans chapter 9 helps us with this. Romans chapter 9, verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. You go on there down to verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is the molded say to the molder? Why have you made me like this? Has a potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Yet we fall into that trap many times and we accuse God of things that are not true of his nature or his attributes of who he is because of our sinfulness, because of our fallenness, and because before even Christ saves uh, one of his people, we join in and we say, No way, God, not your way, but my way. And he says, Who are you, O oh man? To say anything back to me. The one who molds you. The one who gives you life. The one who gives salvation. Who are you to say anything? I will have mercy on who I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on who I have compassion. Mary is praising the Lord. Because of his justice. And that we can trust and praise and rejoice in the Lord. God Almighty. Who always, always, always will act justly towards you. And we praise Him because of that. The fourth attribute is rejoicing for God is merciful. Look at verse 50 and then at verse 53 back in Luke chapter 1. It says, And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. How many of you need the mercy of God upon you? I heard like a couple people. I'm like, I'll put both hands up. I need the mercy of God. You need the mercy of God whether you agree with me or not. Whether you read scripture and you agree or not. You need the mercy of God upon you. Because you are a sinner. And God's wrath will be upon you for eternity in hell. For all who do not receive the mercy of God. She says... And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. When we read the Word of God, we are told that to fear God is the beginning of wisdom. There is a holy reverence and a holy fear that should be a part of your life and my life if we're to be saved by God Almighty because of this humbling work in our life. And God is a God of mercy no matter what you see going on in this world no matter all the trouble that you tuned in on on the news this week, no matter what happened to your neighbor, what happened to your family member, your friend, your coworker, your schoolmate, whatever has happened in the last year or the last 20 years, do not mistake the fact that God is merciful. His mercies never end. Lamentation 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. The wonderful thing also is this. Do you know that you don't have to do anything to receive God's mercy? Do you know that? There is nothing that Scripture says, do this, this, oh, and do this And then you will receive the mercy of God. Did you just see what we read in Romans? God will have mercy and compassion on who he desires to. It's a free gift that God gives his people. And we see his mercy through Jesus Christ at the cross for all those who have faith in him. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 31. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 31 says, For the Lord your God is a... what." Merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. I think that sometimes, maybe as a child, you're afraid of being left behind. Your family's going to, I don't know, drive off and forget you or something. Some of you are like, that happened to me. (laughs) But that fear, that God would not continue to pour out his mercy uh, is a fearful thing. To think that when Christ, when he was, before he ascended to heaven, and he told the disciples, go and make more disciples, he says, Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That for all who have faith in Christ alone for salvation... God dwells in you. The Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. You are not left alone. And you need to acknowledge that that is the mercy of God upon your life. And therefore, you rejoice with Mary over God's mercy. In Luke chapter 18, there is the tax collector. And there is the Pharisee. And the tax collector can't even lift his head to heaven to pray. And he says, Lord, have mercy upon me, a what? A sinner. And Jesus says that man went back home justified, but the Pharisee was the one who was the prideful. Thank you, Lord, I'm not a sinner like that guy over there. And it said that uh, he was not justified and that uh, this, that person would um, not be justified because of the pride of his heart. And so you must think here for a minute before we look at this last one. Is God is holy? We are not. God must punish sin because he is justice. But he has shown his people mercy. Ephesians chapter 2. It says in verses 4 through 5, it says, but God, and I think in all my Bibles, I have it circled, highlighted, underlined, bolded, but God, because it, it, it comes and break, makes this break at this point after saying to the believers, you were at one time children of wrath. Children of Wrath. You were, it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. We should praise the Lord and rejoice over that. That when we see the babe in the manger, when we sing, O little town of Bethlehem, when we sing joyful, joyful, we adore thee, when we sing these great Christmas songs, it shouldn't be just because Jesus was born and Mary and Joseph were there and there were some shepherds that came. No, the rejoicing should be that God has had mercy upon you. And that Ephesians goes on to say that he gave you the gift of faith so that you would believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The greatest gift, faith, Ephesians tells us, is given so that you would believe. Because without that gift, you don't believe anything in the word of God. And so we must praise him for his mercy because Jesus Christ born in the manger, born without sin, being fully God and fully man, then therefore could fulfill what we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the what church? The righteousness of God. God's mercy upon you, his people, that you would be forgiven of your sins, that you would be given the righteousness of Christ, So that when God the Father sees you, he sees the righteousness of his Son. And God is holy, and he's just, and he's merciful, and he's mighty, and therefore you should praise him. And the last thing she praises him for just sums up all of that. She rejoices in God, for he is faithful. Can you say this morning that God is faithful? Can you agree that God has been faithful to you? That he's not only been faithful to you, but he's been faithful to his people before you were ever born? To go back thousands of years that God has always been faithful? A few weeks ago, we began the Advent season in Genesis. And we began in the, uh, Genesis chapter 3. And Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden and they fell. And 4,000 years before Christ was born... That God cursed Satan. And he said as he he cursed Satan that there would be one that comes from Eve that would crush the head, pointing to Jesus 4,000 years before he was born. And then you have this continued covenant, this promise that's made with Abraham. And God says there will be one that comes from you, one who will bless the world, speaking of Jesus Christ. And then another 2,000 years before Christ was born, Uh, God made a covenant, a promise with King David and says you will have a son that will sit on the throne for eternity. 2,000 years before Christ was born. God has shown his faithfulness from the beginning. And then if you read the prophets as we've been studying recently, you see, 700 years before the birth of Christ, they say he'll be born of a virgin. He'll be born in Bethlehem. And on and on all this, including all the prophecies about his death and his burial and his resurrection. Even 700, 800 years before the birth of Christ, you see God's faithfulness to bring about what he has promised. And the word of God says he does not lie. He does not change. And therefore, God is faithful to his promises. Verse 54, the last one in Luke chapter 1. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary rejoices in God who is faithful forever. Forever. In eternity past, in eternity future, for all of time, before even saying, let there be light, in creating this world and giving you life, he has always and will always remain faithful. And so this morning, who are you rejoicing in? Are you rejoicing in the things and the accomplishments of your life, in the family members that you have, in the children that you have, in the friends, in the work and all? Do you rejoice in those things or are you rejoicing in our Savior, Jesus Christ? Are you rejoicing in our Lord God Almighty who is mighty, who is holy, who is just? Do you rejoice in God in these attributes that he is a God of mercy and that he is a faithful God? I pray that you do, no matter what trouble you are facing, whatever problems in your life. There's a book in the Old Testament called Nehemiah, and you get to chapter 10, and the people of God were gathered together, and they had not read the Word of God, the law, in such a long period of time. And the people stood for half the day as Ezra read the law to the people, and they gave explanation And people were struck in their hearts with grief because of their sin. And they realized they had broken God's law. But here's what Nehemiah said to them. Nehemiah chapter, sorry, chapter 8, verse 10. Then he said to them, go your way eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. As the worship team comes forward, the question for you today is the joy of the Lord your strength. Today in the midst of all the trouble is not a day of mourning because the day is holy. Holy. And therefore, praise and rejoice in our Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the exuberant praise, this song that Mary offered to you. We thank you that in it we can see your attributes, which are brought for us to praise you and rejoice. Father, as we are in the midst of this Advent season, a week away from this Advent Christmas day, we pray that no matter what the trouble we face today, that we would rejoice in you. Father, I pray for all who are far off that have come into this place, those who are listening to my voice, who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has died on the cross in their place for their sins and that he has risen from death to life. I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would be struck to their heart, that they would be humbled for their sinfulness and they would look to Jesus, the Savior. I pray that they would leave this place rejoicing, The joy of the Lord is their strength.